0: friend, and welcome to Foul Play. This is the story of the truck stop killer, Robert Ben Rhodes, and how he preyed upon the vulnerable, using the open road as his own personal hunting ground to commit horrifying acts. Today we're going to delve into the twisted mind of this notorious killer, and explore the chilling events that led to his eventual capture. It was a dark February night in 1990, when 14-year-old runaway Lisa Pennell found herself alone and desperate for a ride at a truck stop in Oklahoma. Little did she know that the trucker who would offer her a lift would be none other than the sadistic predator Robert Ben Rhodes. As Lisa climbed into the cab of the 18-wheeler, she could never have imagined the horrors that awaited her. Rhodes, a seemingly ordinary-looking truck driver, had transformed the interior of his vehicle into a mobile torture chamber. Shackles, chains, and an array of terrifying instruments lined the walls, ready to be used on his unsuspecting victims. For days, Lisa was held captive, Subjected to Rose's pervasive desires and unspeakable acts of violence. She was beaten, tortured, and eventually strangled to death. Her lifeless body discarded like trash on the side of the road.
1: Robert Benjamin Rhodes, born in Council Bluffs, Iowa, in 1945 experienced a relatively unremarkable upbringing despite the absence of his father, a soldier in the US Army stationed in West Germany. It wasn't until his elementary school years that his father returned from duty and secured a job as a firefighter. Rhodes' early life seemed typical, though he faced some unspecified social challenges. He engaged in a variety of school activities such as football, wrestling, choir and French club. His teenage years were marred by minor brushes with the law, including arrests for tampering with a vehicle at 16 and public fighting at 17. Upon graduating from Thomas Jefferson High School in Council Bluffs in 1964, Rhodes enlisted in the Marine Corps. That same year, his father was arrested for the molestation of a 12-year-old girl and tragically took his own life while awaiting trial. A few years later, Rhodes received a dishonourable discharge from the military due to his involvement in a robbery. Following his departure from the Marines, Rhodes attended college, but ultimately dropped out. He sought a career in law enforcement, but was likely turned away due to his dishonourable discharge. Throughout the 70s and 80s, Rhodes married three times and fathered a son with his first wife. He held various jobs in retail, warehouses and restaurants before settling into a career as a long haul trucker. Many biographies and documentaries about Rhodes indicate that he and his third wife Deborah Davis were part of the Houston Swinger and BDSM scene during the 1980s. Rhodes didn't lead a double life as much as he existed in the shadows. An image of him clad in leather and chains can be found circulating on the internet. The photo was taken at a Houston Halloween party, where he dressed as a slave, guided by his dominatrix wife on a train.
0: Deborah Davis and Rhodes crossed paths in the early 80s at a bar in Houston called Chip Kickers. That night, Rhodes was costumed as an airline pilot, and it took months for Davis to discover he wasn't actually a pilot. Surprisingly, upon learning he had lied to her, she chose to stay with him. When they finally did break up, Deborah stated that she had been repeatedly abused and assaulted by Rhodes. By this time, Rhodes had evolved into a sadist who took his sexual proclivities on the road. While traveling across the United States via highways, It is suspected that Rhodes abducted and murdered over fifty individuals starting in nineteen seventy five, even though he was only found guilty of three killings. One of Rhodes' earliest known victims was Patricia Candace Walsh. She and her husband, Scott Zazowski, were hitchhiking across the country when they accepted a ride from Rhodes. He ruthlessly murdered Scott, disposing of his body in a remote area in Texas. Patricia, however, met a far more gruesome fate. Imprisoned within Rhodes' mobile torture chamber, she endured unimaginable torment before her life was finally taken. Her body was later discovered in a ditch in Utah. It hardly stopped there.
1: Vanessa Veselka was one of the few who lived to tell the tale of her encounter with Rhodes. In 1985, Vanessa faced an unyielding problem, sleep. With no safe refuge, she left her home in New York City in early January, accompanied by her 21-year-old boyfriend. All they had to their name was $60, a Smith & Western five-shot with a single bullet, a guitar and a knapsack. At only 15, she felt compelled to leave a tumultuous life behind. People don't abandon their homes because life is smooth sailing. They leave out of necessity, driven by a sense of urgency. Vanessa's relationship with her mother had devolved into a series of increasingly volatile encounters, leaving both of them feeling helpless. As she left, she destroyed every photograph of herself beyond the age of 12 ensuring nothing could be handed over to the police. The first night of her journey, she and her boyfriend found shelter in an abandoned barn in Maryland, not unlike one where Regina Waters' body was discovered. The barn's loft, battered by the wind and surrounded by frozen brown fields, provided little comfort. Unable to sleep, they continued on foot along an icy highway until a trucker picked them up at dawn. The warmth and height of the semi-truck provided a stark contrast to their previous night. Their driver offered them chicken-fried steak and friendly conversation. But when the girl awoke to find his hand down her shirt, she feigned sleep and escaped his advances. Their brief respite was shattered when the trucker abandoned them at a gas station, taking all their belongings save for the gun. The initial ride foreshadowed Vanessa's experiences with truckers, evading unwanted sexual advances and repeatedly getting stranded. But she also learned a critical lesson, always be prepared to leave when the truck slows down. Sleep became easier with a partner, as they could alternate resting and staying vigilant. However, after a heated argument in Arizona, Vanessa and her boyfriend went their separate ways. Alone, she faced new challenges, unable to find shelter without a fake ID and becoming a target on the streets. Returning to hitchhiking, she discovered a state of half-consciousness, in which she could rest without truly sleeping. In order to stay alive, she relied on the visibility provided by truck stops, but this choice also carried higher stakes. Truck stops in the 1980s were insular worlds filled with dimly lit stores, pornography and cheap aphrodisiacs. Navigating this environment, Vanessa struggled to find rides without being labelled a prostitute. She eventually learned to use the CB radio, a channel dominated by crude male truckers who referred to women as beavers. Her life was just jumping from one truck to another, existing in that precarious gap between safety and danger, always on high alert for the smallest change in her environment.
0: With the passage of time, Vanessa had developed a 1 to 5 scale of sexually aggressive behavior to help her assess the risks she faced. Women like her, often mistaken for quote, lot lizards or truck stop prostitutes, were vulnerable to abduction and murder, their bodies dumped and forgotten. She had to know what signs to look for, or she could well be taking her last truck ride. Her scale of one to five though Roads Defied Categorization It was a sweltering summer day in 1985, near the shadowy corners of Martinsburg, Pennsylvania. The lifeless body of a young woman was unearthed from a truck stop dumpster. Vanessa, at the time, had just hitched a ride with another driver, and was sitting in the nearby truck, waiting for him to settle the gas bill before they could leave. When the young woman's body was found in the dumpster, there was a commotion. A man from the nearby restaurant burst out, urgently warning everyone to keep their distance, as a small, curious crowd gathered around the dumpster. Whispers of the girl's identity as a teenage hitchhiker echoed through the air, and Vanessa couldn't help but think that it could have been her. As the truck driver she had arrived at the stop with trudged back across the slick pavement, another chilling thought surfaced in her mind. Could he be the killer? That particular ride proved uneventful. As they journeyed into Ohio, sipping Diet Coke and immersing themselves in the melodies of Bruce Springsteen, she felt at ease. After they parted ways... She was picked up on the I-95 by another trucker. And this one, this one was different.
1: Vanessa's recollection of him was hazy, but she knew that he was taller and leaner than most truckers and dressed differently. His cotton button-down shirt had sleeves neatly rolled up, and his cab was spotless. He must have seemed safe and friendly, enough that Vanessa felt confident entering the truck. But once on the road, his demeanour changed. He became distant, unresponsive, and almost physically transformed into a more imposing figure. An unnerving arrogance and cold emptiness washed over his face as he began discussing the girl they found in the dumpster at their last stop. And he asked if Vanessa had ever heard of the Laughing Death Society. She said no, no. And he replied, quote, We laugh at death. In the blink of an eye, he steered the truck onto the shoulder of the road adjacent to a wooded area, brandishing a hunting knife, and commanded the hitchhiker to move to the back of his cab. Frantically, Vanessa began begging for her knife, telling him that it was his choice, that he didn't have to do it, and that she wouldn't involve the police if he just let her go. But then he stared at the young girl, and she froze she sensed the end was near. And suddenly, the trucker uttered a single word. Run. Without hesitation, Vanessa dashed into the woods and hid herself until she saw the truck merge back onto the highway. As the sun set and the shock still coursed through her, Vanessa returned to the same road and resumed hitchhiking south. She never reported the incident to the authorities and remained silent for years, Had she chosen to go to someone about the trucker, she might have saved a few lives from the clutches of Robert Ben Rhodes.
0: Vanessa is a rare story. Possibly the only moment Rhodes showed any real humanity. But that moment didn't mean he was done. Not long after the odd, frightening incident with Vanessa, Rhodes ensnared another unfortunate soul, an 18-year-old girl named Shauna Holtz. Amazingly, she managed to break free from his clutches to find the police. Although Rhodes was apprehended, Holtz opted not to press charges, plagued by the haunting notion that her testimony would be dismissed in court, despite the overwhelming evidence. In a heart-wrenching statement to the police. I don't see any good in filing charges. It's just going to be my word against his. If there was any evidence, I would file charges and sue him. In retrospect, it was revealed that Holtz's reluctance stemmed from a paralyzing fear of Rhodes after he had imprisoned her in the back of his truck for two weeks, abusing and raping her. As if nothing had ever happened, Rhodes found his next victim in his old stomping grounds, 14-year-old Regina K. Walters. On September 29, 1990, her nude, lifeless, and decomposed body was found in the eerie loft of a forsaken barn near Greenville. She had first gone missing back on February 3, 1990, after fleeing from her Pasadena home Alongside her boyfriend, Ricky Lee Jones, who was 20 at the time. An autopsy would later reveal that the young girl finally died in March, her life brutally taken away through strangulation. Ricky Lee, on the other hand, was found earlier on May 26, 1990. He was nothing but bones, with a bullet wound in his skull being the explanation for his demise. That same year, Rhodes struck again. It seems he left Regina's lifeless body in the barn and went hunting for his next victim. This time, a woman named Kathleen Vine.
1: In the chilling darkness of April the 1st, 1990, Arizona Highway Patrol Trooper Mike Miller encountered a truck, hazard lights flashing, on the shoulder of I-10 near Casa Grande. As he peered into the cab, he was confronted with a scene of pure horror, a naked woman handcuffed and screaming in sheer terror. Rose had transformed the cabin of his truck into a makeshift dungeon, complete with handcuffs hanging from the ceiling to immobilise his victims. A 1996 Tuscan Weekly article cited authorities who believed that, by early 1990, Rhodes had been abducting and murdering, on average, three women a month. The report also claimed that he allegedly took a briefcase filled with torture instruments along with him on his trips. As we conclude this episode of Foul Play, we've explored the chilling story of Robert Ben Rhodes, a sadistic predator who transformed his truck into a mobile torture chamber preying upon the vulnerable and leaving a trail of devastation in his wake. We have learnt about his upbringing, his personal life, and the horrifying fates of some of his victims. But this is just the beginning. In episode 2, we will dive deeper into the investigation and the evidence that was uncovered, shedding light on the full extent of Rhodes' crimes and the efforts made to bring him to justice. Join us next time as we continue unravelling the dark, twisted tale of the Truck Stop Killer.